We come once again to uh, the book of Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 9 through 12, excuse me, 9 through 14. Uh, we're looking at this uh, the third time, and just to let you know that actually next Sunday we will look at it a fourth time. So hear the word of God, Colossians 1, 9 through 14, continuing to consider Paul's prayer. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Once again, let's pray. Our Father, we now ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us in a, spe a special way. Father, uh, in a way in which the word that we hear, the word that we read, would in fact be all that you have designed and intended for it to be as your very word. Uh, the word that Jesus reminded us, quoting from Deuteronomy, that um, that bread, that which we eat, uh, is only good for the body, that we do not live by bread alone, bread alone that's only intended for the body, but rather we live by the very word of God that comes out of your mouth. This is the special work of the Holy Spirit that we would pray for now, that we would be fed and satisfied, that we would be nourished and strengthened from your word in order to be the kind of persons you want us to be, to live the kind of life that you want us to live, to be those who represent at all times the name of Jesus Christ in such a way that he's lifted up and glorified. So, Father, all of us right now place ourselves under the ministry of your word, and we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So we began looking at this prayer of the Apostle Paul last Sunday. And the main idea that we brought to this prayer is this, that how the Apostle Paul prays for Christians is also a model, an example for how we are supposed to pray for one another. That is to say, when God does these great things in the life of the Apostle Paul, in terms of Paul's prayer life, even as God did similarly great things in the life of King David and King David's prayer life and writing the Psalms, many of the Psalms, we see here a pattern for us. We see here a model for us. We see examples that you've intended to teach us through Scripture that we are to follow these things. We've also been stating in different ways that all prayers that we pray are acts of worship, not just our prayers of praise, not just our prayers of thanksgiving, 
But even our prayers of the confession of our sin, uh, our prayers of supplication and petition and intercession from one another, all of these are acts of prayer. I mean, all of these acts of prayer are acts of worship. And the reason is this. Christian prayer is always an acknowledgement of who God is and what God has done. Prayer is always an acknowledgement of our relationship to God and ever so important, it's an acknowledgement of our dependence upon God. And so to truly worship God, we must be those who pray and we must be those who pray for one another. So to connect this with why God has saved us and to connect this with our purpose, uh, we can say that last week, this week, and next week, the, the big message, uh, the thesis, uh, the main theme is simply this, that in our calling as believers to worship God in spirit and in truth, in that calling, which is our fundamental purpose for which Jesus has saved us, we must pray and intercede for one another. Our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, we must intercede for one another in those matters that matter the most for the glory of God. And I would submit to you that the way we see the Apostle Paul praying in this passage really highlights for us those those matters which matter the most to God, those things that we pray for in the lives of believers which would work most toward the glory of God and the honor of the name of Christ. Now, last week, as we looked at these verses from verse 9 through 14, we said that there's four particular things, four key ideas that guide us in what we ought to pray for. Uh, we saw that we ought to pray for the right kind of faith and then the right kind of fruit and then the right kind of fortitude and the right kind of foundation. Now, last Sunday, we looked at the right kind of faith and the right kind of fruit. And quickly, just as a brief review, we should pray for the right kind of faith for one another as believers. That right kind of faith, if you look at the text, really points to faith that is shaped and formed by the Word of God. Because it's only the Word of God that's going to be the source, the true source of a knowledge of God's will. As well, we need to pray for the work of the Holy Spirit, because it's only by the work of the Spirit that we will be properly illuminated and given such light that we find in the Scriptures, as the Spirit works with us, the source of all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The right kind of faith is always grounded and guarded by the word and spirit. We should pray for one another to have that kind of faith. But we also prayed or saw last week that Paul would encourage us to pray for one another for the right kind of fruit. Although I didn't use this reference last Sunday, uh, John 15 verse 8 accurately captures the concern and meaning of what Paul is speaking of here. John 15, 8 says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, 
and so prove to be my disciples. So we pray for one another to bear the kind of fruit that does two things simultaneously. Fruit that demonstrates, fruit that proves that a person is truly a disciple of Jesus, truly someone who follows Christ. While at the same time, it's fruit that brings glory to the Father. Which means that the right kind of fruit is never that which builds up the reputation of the Christian. The right kind of fruit builds up the reputation of Christ to the glory of God the Father. Now today we're going to be looking at the third concern. Next Sunday we'll be looking at the fourth concern. But today I want us to look at this third concern, which is the right kind of fortitude. And so here we continue with Paul's prayer, uh, moving from verse 10, where Paul's prayer concerns the Christian walk, walking in a manner worthy of Christ, which then leads to the bearing of fruit in all good works, that kind of a life, to then to verse 11, where Paul describes what is necessary in the believer's life in order to walk with Christ and to bear that good fruit. So Paul says in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. What the Apostle Paul describes here is what we would call fortitude. And it is the necessary part of the Christian life. It's the necessary part of living for Christ, bearing fruit for Christ, producing good works out of our lives. It's the vital part of how we should pray for one another. So let me put this into the proper context, the proper understanding of the Christian life. Think about that incredibly great Christian book, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. That book is based upon the biblical viewpoint that sees the life of a believer as the life of a pilgrim, someone who's traveling through this world, recognizing that the world is not his home. Now, that's why in the book of Hebrews, we read about Abraham being described in pilgrim language. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, we read this, that by faith he, Abraham, went to land to live in the land of promise. Now, this is, this is critically important to understand. He went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Do you see the connection? Do you see the issue? The land of promise is nevertheless a foreign land land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then down to verse 13, we read about Abraham and the patriarchs that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now that's the pilgrim perspective. In the New Testament, this pilgrim perspective describes the pilgrimage, the journey of the Christian life as a path that we're going to walk, 
or a course that we're supposed to follow, even a race that we must finish. But it is a life, a path, a course, a race that is beset with obstacles, adversities, trials, distresses, hardships. That is why the writer to the Hebrews, using the idea of a race, says this, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sandwich clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and finisher, or the author and perfecter of our faith. All of us as Christians are in this race, this walk, this course, this path. And the basic reality is this, the race requires fortitude. Fortitude is what Paul is describing here when he speaks of possessing this strength, a strength of mind and character that enables us to bear up, to endure, to persevere under the most difficult and adverse set of circumstances while having the right heart attitude in the midst of and toward everything that we face. Now that is what Paul prays for, that believers would have this fortitude. So let's break this down into Paul's three main ideas. The first is this. Fortitude is presented in terms of strength. Uh, Paul writes about being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. But note, the nature of the strength, the power, the might is in accordance with Christ. It is, in fact, his strength, his power, his might. Now, that means that Christian fortitude isn't what people generally mean of when they speak of intestinal fortitude. Uh, that happens to be a phrase that is simply euphemistic for saying that somebody has guts. That's the world's perspective. That is what a person would have within himself coming out of his own nature, coming out of his own inner strength, uh, maybe because he's, you know, the John Wayne type who has that rugged individualism. Now, I want to say something here. Uh, in my 30s, uh, I lived in New Mexico, which if you didn't know, New Mexico is still part of the frontier. There are places in New Mexico that don't yet look like they've embraced civilization fully. It's a rugged place. During that time also, I was reading voraciously everything that the Western cowboy author Louis L'Amour was writing. I mean, 40, 50-some books. Uh, my sister was reading them as well. She would come out to visit, and she would give me a dozen, two dozen more. I'd take them back. I, I absorb these things so deeply. But the thing that I absorbed so deeply was that every one of the great characters of Louis L'Amour was a rugged individualist. John Wayne, 
on steroids. I loved those heroes. I thought it was wonderful. I wanted to be that kind of a human being. And it was disastrous for my life in Christ. Because the more I wanted to be strong as that kind of a person, the less I was consciously recognizing the truth of what the Apostle Paul is writing about here. Paul doesn't pray that you and I would become strong individuals. No. Because that kind of worldly philosophy always plays to our ego. It always plays to our vanity. It always plays to our pride. But what Paul is talking about here is something very different. It's about living and finding your strength in Christ, not in yourself. It's finding your strength in Christ. This is not a new spiritual reality that Paul brings to the life of the New Covenant Christian. This is how the saints of old understood their own strength in God. What Paul says here echoes what King David wrote in Psalm 18. Uh, the first couple of verses, David says, I love you, O Lord, because you've made me strong like Samson. No, it doesn't say that. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield. He's the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. You see, the very strength of this fortitude is from Christ. It is through Christ. It is grounded in Christ in every way. There is not an ounce of rugged individualism at all. This is not God making the believer like John Wayne. This is God taking a believer in all of his pride, in all of our vanity, in all of our conceits, and enabling us to find strength, not of intellect, not of brawn, not of success, but finding all of our strength in Christ and in Christ himself. Then the second idea that Paul presents here is this idea of endurance with patience, which is another way of speaking about perseverance, never quitting, never giving up in the face of all the hardships in life. Have you heard the statement maybe many times in your Christian life? Well, God will never give you anything that you can't handle. I once had a parishioner call me up and say, before you answer, I'm going to tell you what I think. I keep hearing the statement, God will never give you something that you can't handle. And she said, I don't think that's true. In fact, I think that God gives us things time and time again that we can't handle. Things that are far greater than we have the ability to handle. 
I think that when Christians say that, they're absolutely misguided. They don't even know what they're talking about. She said, I have experienced things that have been far beyond my ability to handle. She said, that's, I wanted to give up. Again and again, she said, I have wanted to give up. These things were too big. They were more than I could handle. And I said, well, you're absolutely right. <laughs> the things that can happen to us can be far beyond all of our natural resources to deal with. Paul is telling us here that out of this strengthening that Christ gives us, we have this endurance, this ability to persevere in circumstances that are far, far greater than we would ever have the natural resources or the wherewithal to handle. That's what Paul is talking about. A God who's big enough for every circumstance. Not a God who's made us big enough for every circumstance, but a God who's big enough to be with us and to take us through every circumstance by strengthening us and giving us then this perseverance, this endurance with patience. And the patience part means this, weathering these storms and life without grumbling or complaining about the storm. Patience as a work of Christ in our hearts and lives isn't just about waiting and waiting upon the Lord. It is waiting without grumbling over what we have to endure. And then Paul brings us to the point of attitude. He speaks at the end of verse 11 and the beginning of verse 12, first of joy and then of giving of thanks. And that's teaching us that genuine fortitude would have this third characteristic that would carry these attitudes of, of joy and thanksgiving. That's the kind of fortitude that we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for one another that whatever the struggles might be, that we would be anchored in Christ to joy and that we, in those circumstances, would be giving of thanks to the Father. Now, the other thing that I used to practice a lot, besides rugged individualism, was stoicism. <laughs> stoicism is when you essentially say, I'm not going to emotionally respond to this situation. And so you learn to gear up. You learn to get a tight control over your emotions. And so you face things that are hard with a stiff upper lip. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to endure this no matter how hard it is. Paul isn't talking about that. Paul is not speaking about stoicism. This combination of joy and giving of thanks to the Father is all fundamentally tied into our ability to place our faith in and to trust 
Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all things work together for good for those who are called according to God's purposes. Honestly, most of us are probably not there yet. Or sometimes we might be, and sometimes we might not be. That's the reason why we need to pray for each other, and to pray much for each other, and to pray faithfully for each other. Because life is hard. We know this. Uh, the year 2020 was a year that called upon true Christians in America to practice this kind of fortitude. We have all needed endurance with patience and strength from Christ and attitudes of joy and thanksgiving to God, even in the midst of all of this. And the year 2021 clearly has the same calling. But so did the year that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. Paul was in prison under Nero, his first imprisonment. He was in house arrest in Rome for at least two years. His freedom was denied and his privacy was denied. He was shackled 24-7 to a Roman soldier. He slept at night chained to a Roman guard. He ate his meals chained to a Roman guard. He took his bath chained to a Roman guard. He dressed for the day, he wrote his letters, he received his friends at every moment chained to a Roman guard. No freedom, no privacy. Now these guards were not allowed to overtly mistreat Paul, but neither were they required to be civil or polite or quiet or kind or nice or properly bathed. They were there to keep Paul captive, to remove his freedom, to remove his privacy, to remind him that every moment you are entirely within the power and under the power of the Roman Empire. And these Roman guards, they were members of the Imperial Guard, the Praetorium Guard, of which there were some 12 cohorts at this particular time, each one numbering a thousand soldiers, whose allegiance and loyalty was directly to Caesar Nero, who was the Caesar when Paul was in captivity. They were required to be very active in intelligence gathering. So all of Paul's activities, every person who visited him, even the letters he wrote, all of these things were reported back to Nero's court. And yet, here is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church about this time and this situation. In chapter 1, 12 to 14, he says, I want you to know, brothers, 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So in the midst of the hardship that Paul was going through, the chains holding him as a prisoner to an imperial Roman guard, this right kind of fortitude was at work in the apostle who labored as a pilgrim, strengthened by Christ, enduring with patience, filled with thanksgiving and joy, able to bear fruit for the gospel. So when you and I see our fellow brothers and sisters up against hard things, we need to pray for this fortitude, for this right kind of fortitude that would come from the work of Christ in them, the power that strengthens them from Christ, his glorious might, endurance with all patience, believing fully the promise of Romans 8.28, and embracing the hard things with joy and gratitude, because in this race that is the Christian life, we have fixed our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Let's pray. It would be our prayer, Father, for one another. All of these things that we see in the Apostle Paul's prayer. But also likewise for ourselves, Lord. Uh, that we might be those who would uh, demonstrate the right kind of faith, bearing the right kind of fruit. And especially, Lord, during these hard days, having the right kind of fortitude, being strengthened by Christ, enduring all things with patience, and joyfully giving thanks to you, Father, for all that you've done for us in Christ. For you have delivered us out of the domain of darkness and translated us the kingdom of your own Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. So we hate, we pray for one another and for ourselves. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, so that we might run this race with all perseverance, showing that this kind of fortitude is truly at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.